So we're on page 46 on our study guides, talking about our compassionate high priest. Um, a lot of information I want to get to. Um, I'm going to try to get. I'm going to try to get all the way through, uh, church. You know, you'll have to forgive me if I get caught on the tangent, uh, because there's a lot of good information here in these three sections that I really want to glean some stuff and, and get some stuff out and have some good conversations about this morning. A lot to learn. A lot to learn. Um, you ever you ever read? You ever been reading God's Word, and you. You just get into it, and you're like, you know what? There's just too mature to digest right now. I'm going to have to think about this for a while. I'm going to have to meditate on this. Anyone ever done that other than me? Amen. It's like there's just too mature. And so I kind of feel the same way about the word that has been given to us this morning. So our central truth is that Jesus Christ ministers as our compassionate high priest. Thank God we have a compassionate Amen. high priest. Very important. Under Let's Get Started, it says, As we study the book of Hebrews, it is helpful to understand the vantage point of the original readers of the epistle. As Jewish believers, they had spent their entire lives in the context of the Levitical sacrificial system. Now, if you've, been, if you've read through the Old Testament, you'll understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the, uh, the Levitical sacrificial system. And um, it's important to understand your history in that, um, coming from the Old Testament into the New Testament, understanding the parallels, understanding where we stand now. You, I've been talking about this the last couple weeks is you really need to know your history on that. I'm not talking about the jots and the tittles. Now, I, I like that kind of stuff. I'm talking about Christians need to know where they came from. Do you think that's important? Amen. It's important that we know where we came from. That, is, that helps establish us. Um, I would think, I, I say that at times, I think Christians get hyper-focused on the new covenant to the point where it's like, oh, you know, the old covenant really didn't have any bearing. On the contrary, it's your history. It's where we came from. It's where believers come from. And we look at the sacrificial system of what was, and then we consider what was given to us as the ultimate sacrifice to what is. That's important. It's important to know that. So as they were still learning the relationship between their faith and the teachings of the Old Testament, we approach it from a different perspective. Yet seeing Jesus as the eternal high priest and seeing his fulfillment of the Old Testament shows a beautiful unity of the word of God. So that's what we're looking for. We are looking at it from a different perspective, as the lesson says. And that perspective is, is that because we live under the new covenant, our responsibility is to see the union of the Old Testament into the New Testament. To, to understand that union. To understand what it is that we've seen in the Old Covenant that were precursors of what you and I were going to be living under. Not only that, but the laws that were established then, the things that were established, and and how those things even apply to us today. Now, people would argue that. They say, well, um, that's not for us today. Let me explain something about old Levitical, the old Levitical system. Now, I agree, you and I think you agree with me, Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Everyone agrees with that. But Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law. Amen. This is what he said. He said, I did not come to do away with the law. Because this idea was, was that he was going to come and he was just going to basically um, overrun everybody, be the ultimate high priest. And their version of it was being a high priest on earth. He was going to set up a system where he was the king and he was king over everybody. And so they were like, you know, you need to take up the throne. He was like, well, hold on a second here. I've not come to replace that system. I've come to fulfill the system. And so this is where a lot of people get confused on that, is that they think, well, now that Jesus has come, there's nothing in the Old Testament for me. That's wrong. 
There's nothing to learn from that. That's incorrect. There's plenty to learn. In, in some of the scriptures, uh, you, you do some uh, do some back searching on some of the scriptures that you even quote. Come from the Old Testament, a lot of them. You're like, you know, and we, we apply that today. Well, if that if that's the case, and we believe that none of that really matters anymore, then why are we quoting those scriptures? Because all spoke all the word of God that has been spoken is applicable today for us. We can apply that. Now, are we living under the old covenant anymore? No, we're not. We're living under the new covenant. We're living in in New Testament times, and so that's good for you and me, right? That's what this lesson is about. It's talking about that transition, and really, from my perspective, why you and I should be extremely excited and happy that we are living under new covenant times. <laughs> And, and there's some great examples of that here. Uh, I'll give you in just a minute. Uh, the epistle to the Hebrews was written while the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. Temple worship was at the heart of being Jewish. Every day, the priests offered sacrifices on the great altar in front of the steps and pillars of the magnificent structure. Pastor was talking a bit about this on Wednesday night. He was talking about um, the day of Pentecost. And he was talking about uh, what was going on at the temple at that time. Um, and... The, the Jewishness of the people is what was was the conversion point. That was what was really hard, was getting the the, the Jewish to com- be converted and to understand that now you are living under a new time, that there's no more sacrificial system, that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for all. There's no need for a sacrificial system anymore. This was really hard for them. This was very difficult for them to understand. This is all they had ever known. All they had ever known was sacrifices. All they had ever known was priests sacrificing on the altars every day and making atonement and and doing things of that nature to please God. And now his son had come and made the ultimate sacrifice for all, and this kind of was confusing to them. Like, this doesn't make any sense. There were things that were said, and, and we'll talk about this as we go, in Hebrews that was spoken, and we put it in the right context. The reason that it was spoken was because many people that had been converted to Christianity or to the new covenant and understanding of Jesus, were trying to revert back to their old ways again. They were trying to revert back to the sacrificial system. And this is one of the things that was being taught in Hebrews was, no, don't go back to what you were doing before. You're doing it correctly. This was hard. How many of you know conversions sometimes are hard? Coming out from old ways and being introduced into new ways sometimes is very difficult. Um, could, Could we... Could we say, from your own experience in Christianity, wouldn't you say that after you found Jesus that there was a bit of a learning curve? There was. And for some people, quite a large one. If you never grew up in that, you didn't know anything about it, there was quite a a bit of a learning curve. So I say that because there's so much to learn that, and I think we all agree, that we're going to live our lives figuring this thing out. We're, we're, we're under perfection right now. This morning, you are being perfected. The word of God that's gonna, that pastor is going to bring this morning is for perfecting of the saints. Amen. It's for pushing you further to get you to have a greater knowledge and a greater understanding. And we're constantly in a mode of convert, getting, getting away from uh, an old way of thinking and being converted into a new way of thinking. This is why it's so important, and I've said this before, but some people disagree with me. This is why it's so important not to forget your past. 
And people would say, no, that's absolutely, I will not, I will not think of my past. Your past has been forgotten by the Lord, but it serves as a reminder for you to never go back in that direction. Amen. I'm glad that I can't forget it. I'm glad that I can't forget it because if I forgot it, then I might go back. I think we can all agree with that. And so God has brought us out of a lot of stuff. God has brought us out of a lot of things. God has delivered us. Uh, some of us needed a, um, had, had a, a, a tattered past. Some of us not so tattered. Some of us had, had done things that we deeply regret. Maybe other people don't have things that they regret so much. But regardless, the same blood washes all sins. Amen. It's the same blood. Sometimes I think we just get too, we get too focused on that one little thing. And we forget that there's so much that God has brought us out of, and that we're all. This is an equal playing field, right? You, you all have history no different than I do. And regardless of what you've done, we've all been forgiven by the same God. Amen. The same blood forgives us all. So that's it. That's important. Okay. So much of Jesus' ministry took place there too. Yet, as we have discussed, these Jewish believers struggled with, among other things, whether temple worship was necessary. Some of them were uh, tempted to lay aside their faith in Jesus, for they had relied so long on animal sacrifices and approaching God. But the temple sacrifices could never complete the work of bringing a person close to him. From the very beginning, that required faith in God and his love. Okay, let's read page 47. Now normally we have Haley here. She normally is reading. She's not here this morning, so somebody's going to have to step up. Is anyone who... <laughs> Everybody's totally silent. Late, go ahead. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. 5-1. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weakness. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleading with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Your friends. Even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget 
how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for your other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Thank you, sir. All right. Part one, gracious and merciful. After showing Jesus to be exalted above the angels and above Moses, the man the reader saw as the greatest of all leaders and prophets, which was Moses, what they're speaking of here, the writer of Hebrews proclaimed Jesus as our great high priest. What they were doing was is that, see, that put Jesus above the great prophets. That was, that was important to, to establish to them because they had seen Moses as being the greatest. And so when Jesus came, it was important that they reestablish that position and that Jesus was above them because he was the ultimate high priest. That was important to be established because once they could mentally get that out of their mind, that Moses was not the highest anymore, then they could adopt a new system. They could not get away from the new system if they, if they continued to see Moses as the greatest of all. This was why that was so important to establish. So this elevated him above the Old Testament priests who first offered sacrifices for their own sins before offering sacrifices for the sins of people. That's the, that was a part of the Levitical system. So let's talk about that for just a minute. So in order for the priests to be able to do their jobs adequately, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could ever uh, offer sacrifices for the people because they were the gateway. Does that make sense? They were the gateway in which the sacrifice would come. That's the same exact representation as Jesus being our high priest. Now, who stands between us and God? Jesus. He's the, he's the intermediator. He's the one that, he's, he is the gateway to God the Father. Then it was the priest. They were the gateway to the Father. This is why he said, this is why it was, it was very important that the priests followed the Levitical system to a T. They tied bells on their legs just in case they died while they were in the Holy of Holies. This was some serious stuff. I'm thinking, okay, let's imagine, put yourself in their shoes. The guy's down there, he's tying the bell to your leg. He's looking up at you, he's like, I hope you're ready. I'm thinking, I'm fixing to go into the Holy of Holies. If there is something that is imperfect in my life, the bell stops. I drop dead. Drag me out. There was a rope attached to him. Why was that? Because they couldn't go in. This is some serious stuff here. Now, now you got to think about this now. You think, well, that's hard. Those are some hard times. Well, who was... Who had set this system up? God did. And we, we we're always big on saying that God never changes. Like, then what happened? He happened. That's what happened. Does God still look at sin and things of that nature the same? You bet he does. You bet he does. His perspective is still the same. The, the thing is, is that his son keeps that from happening the way it did in the Old Testament. I mean, these stories, if you read them in the Old Testament, they're mind-blowing. And so 
So they, they uh, the priests had to offer the sacrifices first, and then they could properly offer the sacrifices for the people. Jesus, however, is sinless. He died and rose again as the perfect sacrifice for sin. Then he ascended into heaven and now intercedes for his people as the great high priest. Jesus is the perfect and superior high priest because unlike the Old Testament priest, his sacrifice was once for all. See, they had to continually do it. Jesus did it, and it satisfied the need for a sacrifice one time. And the reason that it, sacri- it, was, it was perfect was because he never sinned. And you've heard me say this in the last couple of weeks. It was working itself really climactically to this. He's qualified to be the high priest because he never sinned. He's qualified. And so once he was qualified, that separated him from everyone else. There has never been another person who has ever been in a physical body on this planet who was ever sinless. Nobody. And so that qualified him. You've got to think about this now. Now think about this. You're living under the Old Testament or the New Testament now, right? We're not living under Old Testament. That was a time when there was not a proper sacrifice. Now you and I are living under a time when there is a perfect sacrifice. What a privilege. What a privilege. If you fall under conviction this morning, at any time, and you want to repent, you come to this altar and you repent of your sin and you pour out your heart to God, it will be accepted because of him. I start really thinking about this type of stuff. This should put us in really an emotional spot because... What a great honor and a great privilege to be able to come before the King of Kings because of what one man did to give everything for you and I that we could come back to the Father. Something I don't want to take lightly and something I believe that history does a good job of reminding us of. All right, so um, Jesus is the uh, superior and uh, high priest because unlike the Old Testament priest who sacrificed once for all, Jesus felt hunger, pain, betrayal, and sorrow. He also was tempted to respond sinfully to these common human problems. For he was, in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So there's really the perfect, the, the perfecting of him being the perfect sacrifice. And, and some have asked this question and wondered, you know, what does that mean exactly? Well, I mean, he, is, he, he was and is the Son of God. Well, while he was here, he had to be perfected. These things had to happen. He had to be tempted in order to become the perfect sacrifice. He felt every temptation that you have known. Every one of them. That's what qualifies him, church. That's what qualifies him. This is why I was saying last week. I don't think, I don't think there's any way we can even understand what actually happened in the wilderness, let alone the 30-plus years that he was on this planet. I don't think we can fully understand the temptations that happened within that 40-day span, the great temptation before he started his ministry. So there's this, there was this trying period to find him qualified, that qualified him. And so that makes God accessible because of his perfect qualifications as high priest for you and me. Perfect. There's no other. You don't access God without what he did. You don't access God without him being sinless. We were talking about this the other day. It's like, okay, what would have happened if it went the other direction? Well, it wouldn't have been so. You and I would not be here. There would not have been a perfect atonement for our sins. He made all the right decisions so you and I could have the freedom that we have 
to be able to come before the Father. Forget, forget national rights for just a minute. Forget national rights. It's your God-given right. Nobody can take away the presence of God from you. Amen. Nobody. Nobody can ban you from talking to the Lord. Nobody. And no matter how hard they try to intimidate you and say, well, it's, uh, it's, um, it's not right that, that you people talk about Jesus and mention his name and, and do all of these things. You know what? You can do whatever you want, but you can't stop me from talking to him. And I can feel his presence with my mouth shut. Amen. So, yeah, take that. <laughs> all right, somebody had their hand up. Stacey, go ahead. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, and the sinless life that he led, there is no Christ Christian. Right, there's, yeah, that's good. Christianity, there's no... There's, there's none. No, he's the head of the church, correct? Mm-hmm. We know that as being biblical. He's the head of the church. Why is he the head of the church? He's qualified to be such. Amen. All right. Verse 16, in verse 16, we are encouraged to approach God with confidence. In contrast to a tentative approach, one might expect when going before deity. Questions like, am I really allowed access? Am I wrong to speak my heart to him? And how can I be worthy to address God directly? Might come to mind. But God is not distance or aloof. He is the Heavenly Father who sent his Son to establish a way for us to approach him confidently. That was the whole purpose was to be able to approach him confidently. If if I'm drawing doubt, then that's on me. Because the road's been paved, right? I mean, the road's been paved. So that's not on him, that's on me. If I'm coming to him um, systematically, religiously, um, uh, not with my heart, but with just my lips, uh, that, that's on me. Because... He, he did not do anything to put me in that situation. He opened the door and said, come in. That's what he did. He opened the door and said, all right, anyone that wants to come and dine with me, you can come and dine with me now. Come on. Come, come on. And see, I, I believe, this is my personal belief, this is, this is one of the angles that will be judged off of. Is You're judged off of that right of freedom and passage to come before the Father. Think about it like this. It's like, well, I don't know what it's going to be like or if I stand before God and kind of like Job, let's just say I have a complaint. All right? I Well, if you would have did this, then I could have done this. See, then that conversation is going to take place because it's going to be solely based on the freedom to be able to approach him. What's going to be asked to return, if there's an argument given, in my perspective, of course, is that he's going to, he's going to say, but I made a way. I made a way. It's 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 kind of like saying, you know, um, how do I put this? Somebody invites you to their house. Let's put it this way. Somebody invites you to their house. Hey, I want you to come have supper with me. Well, I can't. The road's closed. Let me go check that highway real quick. No? Road's good. Road's perfect. See, the road, the road to, to this place is perfect. We don't have an excuse not to come. And see, that's what I, I truly believe. That's one of the angles that we will be, our works will be judged on, is that everything has already been done for us. Now that responsibility then falls on us to, dis, to distinguish whether we actually did it or not. That's why I get troubled thinking about it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not accessing what he's given me access to. And we, we better consider that, Pastor. Yeah. 
Father's dying, he opened the door at that point. Uh -huh. The veil was rent. Yep. Which right. gave us basically access to the mm -hmm. Father through him. Right. So you're right, it's been prepared. But that don't mean everybody's got it until they choose to walk through it. That's it. Got to make that decision. That's good. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, but God is not, uh, yeah, I already said that. Um, his son, the mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2 5, understands our weaknesses. So, by a, a, a rhetorical question, by those of, you, those of you who have weaknesses, raise your hand. Everybody in the place has weaknesses. Now, now the thing, now you think, well, why would I, why would I bring that up? It's because I'm not, God understands he gets the struggle. Why? Why does he get the struggle? Well, first of all, you were created by him. Okay, that's number one. You were created. He's the creator, right? Creation cannot be higher than the creator. We already established that. Number two, he was here. He felt it, and he went through it. He totally gets it. He gets it from front to back, left to right. Now, now, why is why what this was to me is even one of the greatest things of all. So, what qualifies him to handle my garbage? He beat it. He beat it. Like the thing that you're struggling with, he beat it. And so, that makes it where I can go to somebody who has beaten what I am trying to beat, which qualifies him. It's like that. I want to go with somebody, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, um, it could be sports. It could be business. It could be whatever. You're going to surround yourself with people who have done what you're trying to do. At least if you're smart, you're going to surround yourself with people who are trying to do what you're wanting to do, so you can garner the knowledge and the wisdom from that, so you can accomplish it. Spiritually, it's the same way, but you're going to the perfect sacrifice to try to overcome this thing what we call life. He overcame it already. And so that qualifies him. That makes me comfortable. That makes me comfortable in my spirit that I can approach him and bring whatever I have and I can get help for it. Because he already knows. He gets it. All right. Um, the role of a priest in the Old Testament was to represent people in their dealings with God. The high priest acted as a mediator on behalf of others, offering sacrifices for sin and gifts and worship to God. He was to be sensitive to others as well as acknowledge his own sinfulness. No man could reckon himself to be worthy of becoming high priest. That authority and position came from God, beginning with Aaron himself. That was an honored position, okay? And it was, uh, it was originated with the, the Aaronic priesthood. And the priests originated from that and then come out of that. That was God's choice and that was God's decision. You could not become priest just because you wanted to. And, and so how do I translate that to today? You draw a line to current day, right now. It's the same way. You don't just get behind a pulpit and start preaching. That's not the way that works. God calls, and then he qualifies, and he puts certain things in place in order to make sure that person is ready to be in that kind of position. It's, a, it's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be taken lightly at all. Today, everybody's like, I, want, I got something I want to say. You better be careful about putting yourself in a position to speak to God's people on behalf of God. That's, do you understand what, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Be careful. 
because the Bible is very explicit that those people who have put them that have been in that position will be judged more harshly. I, I, you've heard me say this before. I was like, uh, I didn't choose this for myself. I can assure you I wouldn't have chosen to be a minister or a teacher, and especially after I read the truths behind it. I was like, oh, you're going to judge me more harshly. Oh, my goodness. It's already bad enough as it is. And now I'm going to be hit with the teacher part of it. Yes. And so it's funny today that everybody wants to be up in front of everybody. Everybody's like, yo, give me the pulpit. I got something I want to say. It might be better that you don't say anything. And, and I'm, not, I'm not elevating anybody here. I'm simply talking biblical. You wait till I get to part two here. You see some stuff that it should scare you. But it's, it's, it's essential that we understand the way that God has this set up. So the Old Testament records several disastrous accounts of men attempting to perform the duties of the high priest. Number 16, 1 through 35. Does anyone know right offhand what that story is? That was Korah. And, and I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you. What Korah did is Korah got a group of people together. And he come to Moses and he said, listen, y'all are taking too much on yourselves by leading. Seeing as that I'm, me and my band here are holy and everyone else is holy too. This is what Korah said. And you know what, you know what Moses' reaction to that was? He fell on his face because he knew what was about to happen. <laughs> that was his response scripturally. Go read it. That was his response. He fell on his face. Why? Because God had chosen his men, and these other, the, the part of the crew come in and said, hey, let me be a part of the, the priesthood here. Seeing that you're working yourself to death, I'll take over, and I've got some good ideas in mind. You guys don't need to do it all. Moses just fell flat on his face, and I, he knew what was fixing to happen. Well, ultimately, uh, the Bible says that Korah and all the people with him were swallowed up. And the Bible specifically says that they went down to the pit. Never has there been a transfer so quickly from life to hell like that. I read that and I was like, I don't know if I want to help anymore. <laughs> but but do, you, do, you, do you see how seriously God takes those things? It's like, no. It's, seriously, the priesthood was a serious thing. Well, think about it like this. If you have any doubts about that, the priesthood was so serious that he sent a son to fill the role. Would you say that God takes the priesthood seriously? Yes, he does. He does take it seriously. So, I mean, that, that point in itself, just it's, it's, it's a lot. Okay, um, what was I at here? Oh, yeah, redemption does not come uh, through human activity or decree. In the Old Testament... One could not do priestly ministry simply by going through the proper motions. God was the source of forgiveness, cleansing, and redemption. Even today, believers must rely on God alone to bring about spiritual rebirth and cleansing. Only God and God alone. All right, let's go to part two. Perfect and eternal. Jesus did not assert his place as high priest as a man. He met the qualification as high priest because he is the Messiah. His priesthood was of the order of Melchizedek. Seen in Genesis 14, 17 through 20, Melchizedek had no recorded genealogy, separating him from those in the Aaronic priesthood, which traced its lineage from Aaron. And, and Melchizedek, if you, didn't, if you don't understand that story, I mean, he's 
always been revered by scholars as being the typified Christ. Okay, Melchizedek was a typified typified Christ. He was he was a type and shadow of what was to come. This is why it's important to understand a bit of that history. Um, we also, as believers, believe and get our uh, orders and understanding for tithing from the relationship of Melchizedek and Abraham and what took place there. And that's a totally different story, and I'll, I'll, we'll get to that another day. But the, the individual known as Melchizedek is very important for us to understand. In a way, Melchizedek was, a time, was timeless, so he represented Christ's eternal priesthood. Melchizedek served as a priest to Abraham, who received the promise of God's redemptive plan for all nations. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. The Messiah would come through the line of Abraham and would provide the means of reconciliation with God, which we desperately needed. The writer detailed Christ's unique qualifications to serve as high priest. He offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Hebrews 5.7 Jesus practiced submission and obedience through suffering. Hold on a minute. This is the Son of God, though. Why is he practicing submission and obedience? You think well, immediately that you, that doesn't compute in our brains, right? Remember, he's when he's here, he was being qualified as he went through it. And you think, well, what did he have to be obedient and submissive to? To the ultimate plan of the Father. If you have any doubts about that, just review the prayer in the garden. Not my will, but your will. You understand what I'm saying? See, that's key that you understand that he said this. Because that was him getting himself out of the way and saying, hey, this is not about what I want. This is about what you want. This thing needs to be completed. If it plays itself out like I think it's going to play itself out, then let you, I'm going to let you have your perfect will. What a, great, what a great example for us today. Not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want. And, and as a Christian, let me say that it's when it comes to submission and obedience, and while Christ is a great example, he's the perfect example of that. It's easy to talk about submission and obedience when everything is easy. It's easy. That's way easy to talk about being submissive when you're not actually having to be submissive. <laughs> and, and it's a great thing to talk about obedience when you're not necessarily having to be obedient. But if we'll all be honest, that's somewhere where the greatest struggles lie, where we are torn. In our decision-making, we're trying to figure out what the right thing is. We get clarity because of revelation of the Lord through his word. We pick up his word, we open it up, we read it, we're like, there it is, right there. Now, can I submit to that and can I be obedient to it? Because that's a totally different story. Will you actually do what you say you're going to do? <clears throat> now, I mean, we can talk about this all day long. I mean, we can talk, come in here and... We can talk about the word. The pastor's going to get up here in a little bit, and he's going to bring the word, and we're going to put these things out there. Now, whether we actually do them or not is a totally different story. Uh, and I'm going to agree with what pastor has said. Too often church turns into an idea of entertainment, and, and I'm going to use it from the perspective of preach me a good word this morning. Preach me a good word this morning. Give me something good. What do you mean by that? What does that mean exactly to give a good word? Good word. To me, a good word is the truth. It's the absolute truth. And, and there's a really good chance, though, that if the 
if the truth is authentically given, which it always is here, thankfully, that you're probably not going to go away excited. You're probably not going to leave here just, man, that preacher preached it to me today. That was good stuff. No, uh, Rick and I have talked about this. We get tore up. My feet hurt from being stomped on. It's like, man, you know, it was on the verge. The word was so good, I was on the verge of being angry. <laughs> I, listen, shouldn't it be in that in that kind of package where it was it was that good, where I had to go and not only repent, but I had to kind of take a couple steps back and not be so emotional. So, man, it's like he just like, I, somebody's been talking to him. Somebody has said something to him about my life, and he did it on purpose. You might, you, be careful, you might get offended, right? So what do we call a good word? Is it wrapped up in a bow? You know, do we get to open it up like a Christmas present where we're all excited about it? Or is it blunt and it is a hard, like blunt force trauma? Or it hits you like a truck and you realize that you're living in sin in maybe a particular area in your life. You're like, whoa, whoa, I serve a holy God. I got to get away from that. To me, that's a good word. That's a good word. A good word, you're not always going to be okay with initially. But if you let it grow, it'll change your life forever. Pastor, you're going to say something. No, and that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes. Right, exactly. And in the youth circles today, it seems to be more and more connected to a game of pleasure. And it, I think that's a big mistake. Mm -hmm. If you'll read the Bible, the ancient youth, they taught their children the Word of God explicitly. Yep. Yep. That was the main focus. Teach mm -hmm. them the Word and graft into them the Word. Yep. That they know the Word. Because what does the Word do? Mm -hmm. That's the roadmap God provided to live life by. Yep. You've got to start that at a young age. Games don't carry you anywhere. No. And they have to stop eventually. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I'll you square in the face. What are you going to do now? Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, to go along with what Pat, we were talking, you know, talking about the priesthood and talking about some of the things that are going on now. I seen some the other day, and I'm just I'm putting this out there for the sake of the lesson. I'm just throwing stories out there. Um, something that's starting to, to garner a, a, a bit of momentum is they've got drag people entertaining the pulpits. I seen this the other day, and I've, I've actually seen it for quite some time now. And I'm thinking, what? No. And so I done a little looking into it. I'm like, it's so bad that I didn't even want to watch. It. I'm like, no, I don't. No, no, don't want to look at that. That's that's that is the, the to me the highest form of perversion. And and this is this is why. Listen, this is why everything we got drag people in the pulpit. Something is wrong. Amen. Dramatically, I mean, just at a level that we don't even understand. Wrong. So. Well, not so much wrong with them. Wrong with the people that let them up there. Yeah, yeah. There absolutely. You well, and and uh, going back to going back to Korah briefly, um, the Bible says that when the earth opened up and they fell in, 
the people ran in fear, screaming. The people that were alive, that were actually okay, screaming because of what they had seen that had taken place there. See, they, they got away from it. See, this is where we're at as a church. We're like, okay, we got to get away from any sign of it because what's coming next can't be good. Can't be good. Man, I could go all day about that, but let's keep moving. Okay, um, Christ's agony as he prayed in Gethsemane, referring back to the prayer, uh, in Luke 22, 39 through 44, shows Christ's humanity as he struggled and suffered as we do. He not only prayed for the suffering to end, but also that the will of the Father would be done. Jesus was made perfect, not referring to moral perfection. For Christ is the sinless Son of God, but to complete consecration as the priest. That's what we've been saying, right? He's, he, he became qualified there. I'm going to keep going on that, but that's you know that's what it's saying. He completed his mission to bring about eternal salvation. He fulfilled the duties of his high priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, given to him by the Father. In Hebrews 5.11, the writer noted that he could have taught them much more on the subject, but it would be difficult to explain. This problem, listen to this very carefully. This problem was not because the topic was difficult, but because they were spiritually dull. Now, that's really, think, what? That they, it wasn't, listen, it wasn't that the topic was difficult, but they were spiritually dull. The word dull refers to being lazy or sluggish. It is not a critique of their mental capacity. Rather, they, they became spiritually lazy. Spiritually lazy. All right. Now I want to do something real quick. You got your Bibles. Turn to Hosea 4.6. Let me show you something. Give me a second to get there. Now I know I know I know we're in Hebrews and I know Hosea is, is, is different. But listen, I want you to pay attention to this because this is the exact scenario. Same scenario. Everybody got Hosea 4.6? You got it, say amen. Yes. Back a couple. I'm away just a minute. I want to make sure everybody gets there. Hosea 4 6 says this My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. That you shall be no priest to me. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hmm. Now, let me read your. The, now, I'm going to read the footnote here, okay? Just very carefully and read the footnote. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge is the cause of all problems in the church and the world for that matter. The knowledge spoken of is the Bible. This lack of knowledge was not ignorance, but rather a willful rejection of the law of God. They didn't know, but it was because they didn't want to know. Now you understand the parallel is perfect. It's the same, same, same situation here. So it's uh, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. We've we've spoken that scripture many times, correct? That's it's true. We perish for a lack of knowledge. But you got to understand that this was not an ignorance knowledge. It was the fact they did not want to know the truth. That's what is going on today. What do people not want to know? The truth. Exactly. Nobody wants to know the truth. Pastor, go ahead. No, 
don't know how to recognize it is, but uh, one of the major sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, we always think of think of the word sinful to rise on some time, which is Laban. It was that. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. And uh, they had great economics, which led to a, a severe laziness and sluggishness. I don't, I don't have to draw, I don't have to give you the parallels because we're living in it. It's, it's uh, um, super easy to become spiritually dull. Um, and so going back to this, this was a mental capacity where they just become spiritually lazy. Uh, they, they didn't want to know. Let me also say this. Let me say one more thing on that topic. You, you've got to you've got to consider that it's not just the truth. It's not just a general truth that people are not wanting to look at. It's our own personal truths that people don't want to look at. It's the stuff. It's the stuff you got hidden in your closets. Can can I say it like that? That people are denying. They're like, nope, nope, that's not there. Listen, the only way we get anywhere is if we confess our sins. I didn't say you had to be put on a stage, but you come before the Father and you repent of your sin. This is another one of these things, and Pastor, I've talked about this. This is something that's getting lost is repentance. Listen, you're not going anywhere. You ain't going anywhere spiritually if you don't repent. Yeah, justifications, right. It's it's okay to do whatever. It's a law. It should be okay. There's a... There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be passed through the law if this world tarries in the next couple years that are going to be completely heinous and perverted. Are we going to jump on that wagon too? No. We sure enough better not. Okay. Um, where was I at? Oh, yeah. I'm down at the bottom. Sorry. Firstly, dull. The word dull refers to being laser sluggish. It was not a critique of their mental capacity. Rather, they have become spiritually lazy. They have followed the teachings of the Levitical priesthood from childhood. They knew it, right? I knew all. I know all this stuff, and and going along with what Pastor said too, um, not what they they taught their children, but Jewish the Jews had to know it. I mean, you had. I mean, it was ingrained. Another parallel: the importance of knowing God's word and the importance of your children knowing God's word. And without it, where are you going? Without it, where are we going? We're not going anywhere. We're going. We're going in the opposite direction. So as they knew the message of the Messiah as prophesied throughout the Old Testament, and they knew the story of Jesus, the Messiah who had to come, proclaim God's kingdom, suffered a sacrificial death, then rose again. Yet spiritually they were unprepared to probe the depths of teaching on Christ as priest. I'm going to say that that is still the case today because recognizing Jesus as our ultimate high priest requires a change of living. You understand that? It requires a change of living. That's, off, that's one of the authentic things about being saved authentically is recognizing that entire package and then living like Jesus has called us to live. Nobody wants to change anymore. Nobody wants to change. We, we are not coming to Jesus. We are dragging Jesus to us. Yeah, we're trying to. He ain't moving. He's the rock. Don't forget that. <laughs> he said he doesn't move. He said you build on him. You don't build around him. Um, yet spiritually they were unprepared to probe the depths of teaching as Christ is high priest. Um, many Christians have experienced salvation and know what scripture says. But they have not reached a level of spiritual maturity that allows them to have a deep understanding of scripture. 
and apply it to their lives. What would we, what could I refer to that as? Milk. I would refer to that as milk. And the scripture says that we should be on the meat. That's what you're shooting for. That's the hard things of the word, the things that are hard to digest spiritually. But he said, but y'all are still on the milk. And that's the reason I'm having to teach you all this stuff. That's what he was saying. And so, what is, what is the milk of the word? Well, that's the lightweight stuff. And so, a lot of people have never gone past the milk stage. And they don't want to. They don't want to go past the milk stage. We're in a society now where everybody wants to be babysat. Everybody wants to be taken care of. Everybody is entitled to your money and, and what you've accomplished and what you've done. Everybody's just entitled to that. We found ourselves in quite a mess, haven't we? Quite a mess. And so Christians, as Christian people, while we are still here, we have to get into the meat and the hard things of God and make sure that the next generation knows that what you're about to face is not going to be easy. What you're about to face is not going to be easy. You're going to be bombarded. You're going to be hit. Uh, you're going to be clubbed multiple times. Can you keep going and still stand for God? That's really the thing that's at hand. So this, here's the scary thought. And I, I posed this question not too long ago. The question was, can you imagine your children running this country? That's the question I asked. Can you imagine your children running this country for others? Can you imagine your grandchildren running this country? That's, that was the question. And so I think about that. I think that's a hard question because we're all excited about our kids to grow up, right? We're all excited about our kids to grow up. And I thought, eh, on the other hand, maybe we're not so excited because we have not instilled in them the correct things. Maybe we have not taught them. You realize the transition that's going to happen? You think about the, the craziness that we're seeing on the streets of America right now. <coughs> Five to seven years, those kids are running this country. They're running. They're running the show. Your 20-year-olds are 25 to 27. Your, your, your 25s are 32. And they're running the show. It's imperative that we make a stand now, right now. And if the Lord tarries, I pray the Lord put our children that, uh, that, that in places that they fear the Lord and that they will carry on the things that have been taught because if they do not, we're not going to make it. We're not. We're not going to make it. This thing folds. This thing folds if it's, if it's not already too late. If it's not already too late. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to section three. How much time do I have? I have no time. Of course. <laughs> Part three, fair and never forgetful. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12 follows a heavily discussed passage in Scripture. Verses 4 through 6 deal with the spiritual security of the believer. It states that someone who has entered into the gift of salvation then turns from God cannot return to God. All right, so this is very important. I want you to understand this. this we need to dissect this. And I don't have enough time. We're going to try. While this passage is not covered in the scope of this lesson, it's important to have a basic understanding of it as we examine verse 9. Simply put, this is a rare situation in which a Christian willingly rejects Christ, renouncing faith in his sacrificial death. Well, let's, let's look at it. Do you open up your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. 
Let's just look at it real quick. I want to make sure we get it all. And then I'll close. Sorry. Six. And verse. Yes. Six and verse six. Well, let's start at five, really. Let's, let's do that. Now, let's go to four. <laughs> six. Hebrews six, verse four. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to secure them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Okay, I wanted to read that. I wanted you to know exactly what we were talking about. And the, and the reason why I wanted you to understand that is because that scripture should scare you. It should make you shake. And the reason why it should make you shake is because everybody has this perspective now of grace just being able to just be abused left and right. And that I'll walk in and walk out when I when I please. And if I want to be a Christian today, I'll be a Christian. And tomorrow, I don't want to be a Christian. Now, let me explain what this scripture says. Let's read, let's read this because they do a good job. Simply put, this is a rare situation in which a Christian willingly rejects Christ, renouncing faith in his sacrificial death. The text does not say he cannot be forgiven or cannot be restored to salvation. Rather, it is impossible for this person to repent, indicating that the person cannot bring himself to repent, pointing to the person's hardness of heart. And this is why it should scare you. Why? Because the responsibility does not fall on Christ. The responsibility falls on your hardened heart. It doesn't mean that the path was taken from you. It means you closed the door. So, in closing, I bring up the point of hardness of heart. Make sure you don't have a hard heart in certain areas of your life. Don't, don't, uh, don't confess Jesus on one hand, but then have a hardened heart on another. Now, this is obviously talking about a completely different circumstance, so I want to keep it in the right context. It should scare us. It should scare you to know that, that God is not going to allow his son to be abused that way. He won't do it. So willful sin is a major issue, and Christians have got to, to realize that. And if you're here this morning, and if you've got maybe something in your life, and I'm not talking about a struggle. I'm not talking about something that you literally, authentically have pushed against, and you, you're winning, and then you've tripped over it every now and then. I'm not talking necessarily about that. I'm talking about you going out and doing things that are against God's covenant. You know they're wrong. You still do them anyway. That can't be tolerated, church. We can't willfully sin against the Lord. If you know it to be true, you know it to be true, and you don't do it, well, that's called sin. I'm out of time. Church, God bless you guys. Thank you.